Lord, for taking our cross. Amen. Amen. Father, our hearts are abandoned before you, Lord. We want to pray like David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Lord, that word in Hebrew for create is bara. Just like when you created the world, bara means from nothing. Lord, change our hearts today. Make us, give us new hearts, Lord, that we might serve you wholeheartedly in this country and each of the churches that are represented by, by the, the true preaching of Jesus Christ that he came, he died, he was buried, and he is risen the third day according to the scriptures. We abandon our hearts before you, Lord, because you abandoned. Well, you showed your great love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We lift you high and high today, for you are the highest one. And we give our hearts to you, just like we've been singing here all morning and praising you. Our hearts are yours for the taking, Lord, and we give it to you. And we want to fall madly in love with you once again, like we were when we first became believers. We realized who you were. We fell in love with you at first sight, a first revelation. And Lord, today, whether it be a month, a year, a decade, or a century, we want to lift your heart up, high up before you, and we want our hearts to be abandoned before your throne. And we give our lives to you for your service, for your glory. And may other notice, others notice and see the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives as we go about our daily business. In Jesus' name, Lord, let us hear what your Spirit says to the church today. Amen and amen. Again, for those who just tuned in, this is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. And you know what? While I was sitting in the back, one of the kids gave me these hearts that they cut out. And, it, you know, we're singing, you know, I'm thinking David's, you know, uh, creating me a new heart, oh God. You know? You know, look at the children are learning what, what uh, they need to learn. I'm sure that heart in their, in their class back there is uh, talking about abandoning your heart and loving the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's what it's about here. So um, thank you for tuning in. For those that just tuned in, you go, go to our website, Freedom Church PB for Palm Beach, PB for Palm Beach, dot org. Freedom Church PB dot org. Check us out. And you can uh, listen to messages. You can check out our who we are. You can check out what we believe in. And you can uh, even donate online. I'm going to tell you real quick what we believe in. Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and is risen. He lives here today. Amen. And always will. He lives in my heart and in yours who have accepted him as your Savior. So thank you. Um, I'm gonna, in a minute, I'm going to invite Pastor Jim up here. But you can be seated if you want. Um, I've been watching the news, listening to the news. Liz is always listening to the news, and I hear what's going over the air. And um, I see that the, the world, the government, certain people in government are coming against the Christian churches. And they're coming against, even in, in this little church, you know, we must be a heavyweight because the devil sure loves to harass us, you know. And the Lord says to me, Go out and anoint your property, this property. Well, we lease this property. So yesterday, I went out and bought, well, the other day, I went out and bought a, a big bottle of olive oil. And I thought, well, I'm going to anoint this property because we're getting some heavy stuff coming at us for the last two and a half years. And we still got it coming at us. So I went out after the men's group yesterday. And by the way, all those online, you can come to our men's group at 9 o'clock every Saturday morning. 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida, between I-95 and Congress, and you can you can uh, you know listen to the messages from what we're teaching back there as the men. And uh, after the men's group, I took that bottle of olive oil. I bought two of them. I didn't know how how many it would take, 
to, to anoint this property because I felt like I wasn't just supposed to sprinkle. I felt I was supposed to walk around and just let it drip out. So I walked around these two parking lots, this church on the outside, you know, on the, around the perimeter and just prayed in the spirit and prayed in, in, in tongues, prayed in flesh and English. That's the only language I know besides some tongues. Um, and I prayed and poured out that oil all the way around this church. I walked around the whole church praying against forces of darkness, against enemies of the cross, against, um, you know, uh, people trying to, you know, drive us out, drive out our message. And then I decided I'm going to walk around the church outside the perimeter, you know, of the church, and I did the same thing there. And then, of course, we have a little a van out there with Jesus is Lord all over it and reflective six-inch letters. And I walked around the van and anointed this property and prayed. And we're going to see some changes in Freedom Church. And they're going to be for the good, I can guarantee you that. Because, you know, God wanted this property anointed. Um, so I did so. And, you know, some of these people out there, maybe new believers, are probably saying, that pastor is crazy. I don't care how crazy you think I am. Read the scriptures and you'll find out that some of those prophets were crazy. They did some crazy things. You know, and you know what? They did it because God told them to. And um, that's what I did. So you're going to see some changes in this church coming down the road real quick. Um, I want you to let them know that this church, it's all about Jesus. You know what? People always get into the self-help programs, and I'm not against self-help programs, but it should be Jesus' help, Lord help. That's your first prayer. And then go study. And then, if you, you know, what's the use going to a self-help group if you don't apply it to your life? It's useless, you know. So um, I wanted you to know that so that you know that this pastor up here believes, truly believes. And I hope you do, too. Um, pastor Jim is going to come up. He's teaching today. Oh, no, Pastor Chaplain Jim, I should say, he's coming up. He's going to talk about the integrity of, or, of a man, of a leader's integrity. So that's going to be a good topic. And but as I said earlier today, we need that message in the church, not just this church, but every church. As you see, people falling all over the place, sucking in the the world, bringing the world into the church when we're supposed to bring the church to the world. We're upside down from what we should be. And it's time to come back. It's time to, time to uh, refresh, renew, revive our love for Jesus. Jim, come on up. You guys, you guys stretch your hands forward, and we'll pray for Jim. And I need all the prayer I can get. Amen. Amen. Don't it's we a all? a tough world. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you with our brother Jim, Chaplain Jim, Lord. And Father, we lift him up to you. Lord, today he has a message that the church needs to hear. And I pray that over on the line, Lord, that uh, people tune in. They need to hear this message. Make divine appointments for them so hear what the Holy Spirit says. And Father, Jim is already anointed, but I pray that you give him a special anointing, Father, for this message that's going to go out today. And Father, I know that Jim will bring all the glory to you and not himself. That's what it's all about. It's all about you, Jesus, not us. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Um, that word that is translated church in the Bible is the Greek word ecclesia, which means the called out assembly. So the church is not about a building, it's about the people. And uh, you people out there in internet land, I hope you were tuned in on Thursday night for my teaching on healing. Um, if you were, you're probably looking at me and saying, that guy's wearing the same outfit he wore last week. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I'm an 81-year-old retired uh, widower, and I don't have the luxury of wearing something once and throwing it into the, to the laundry hamper. I'm busy, and um, I'm busier now that I'm full-time in the ministry than I was when I was working. It's been fun. So um, this is a message that I actually taught uh, back in 2014 at the uh, Church of God in Lauderhill, uh, the pastor's conference, and the pastors thought that there was a problem with integrity, and they wanted me to teach on integrity. 
And uh, guess what? Uh, things haven't gotten better. They've gotten worse. Uh, we spent the last year, I think, seeing some really classic examples of a lack of integrity in, in our leadership in the government, our leadership in various areas. Um, we, we are disappointed, I think, with our media who can't seem to get it right. And uh, there's too many agendas out there that are not godly. So um, in this case, we, we're talking about a leader's integrity, but not just leaders in the church. We want leaders everywhere. We want them in the family. We want them in the government. We want them in the military. Uh, I call myself Chaplain Jim because I am a military chaplain, uh, Air Force. They have a shortage of chaplains, and so they'll even allow somebody like me to, to be one of their chaplains. But I was uh, talking to Pastor Joe yesterday, and he's in the process of writing a book. And the book is basically um, more or less organized in, in terms of military. And um, I picked up on that. I, I downloaded one of the brochures. I don't know if you can see it out there on the screen. But what it says is core values. Core values. Uh, this is a very popular thing now in corporate America is everybody wants to have their core values. And the values we see here are integrity, service, excellence, and respect. And uh, by my reckoning, those are the kind of core values we want in the church, and those are the kind of core values we want uh, in our, our military. They're the kind of core values we want to see in our leaders in the government, and certainly as we lead our families, we want to see these kinds of core values. So what I do when I'm uh, studying something that has a key, key theme in it, I go to my old, old, old 1950s uh, college dictionary because I want to see the definition of the words as they were back then, not the way they are now because they keep changing the meaning of words into something different than what they actually mean. And, and you know what I mean. They, they have taken words that had a specific meaning and then turned it to mean something different. So Webster's Collegiate Dictionary says integrity is a state or quality of being complete, undivided, or unbroken in entirety, uh, unimpaired state, soundness, purity, moral soundness, honesty, and uprightness. And I, and I summarize that by saying integrity is doing the right thing even when nobody's watching. I think if you follow that rule, you'll stay on the right track. Because we have people who say that, you know, if you can get away with it, it's all right. Uh, the end justifies the means. No, it doesn't. There, there are times when uh, people cheat. They cheat, lie, cheat and steal. And they get away with it, but it's not right. That's not integrity. And so you can't trust somebody who demonstrates a lack of integrity. And that's been the problem with uh, integrity in our, our culture is that we don't trust anybody anymore. It's like, well... A handshake means nothing. You've got to have a lawyer write up a contract and sign the contract, and then they still break the contract. So it's, it's getting worse, which is exactly what prophecy says, is that we're on a downward spiral, and eventually God is going to say, I've had it with you, and there will be judgment. So um, tied together with the, the theme of integrity is the word character and worldview. And... Uh, my dictionary definition of character, it says, the aggregate of distinctive qualities belonging to an individual or a race, the stamp of an individuality impressed by nature, education or habit. The, est yeah. <clears throat> the estimate put upon a person or a thing, reputation or repute, moral vigor or firmness, especially as acquired through self-discipline, a description or detailed account of the qualities of a person, a written statement as to behavior, habits, competency, competency, etc. So a lot of times we say, oh, that guy's a character. And they're referring to somebody like me because I'm not normal. I, I do things that people my age aren't supposed to be able to do. But really what we're talking about is, in that case is personality. Personality is the soul realm, which is the mind, will, and emotions. That's not what we mean by character. Character is in the heart. And uh, if you have a lack of character, it's uh, a heart problem. It's a spiritual problem, not a natural problem. And worldview is a way to make sense of our lives as we interact in it with our circumstances. 
A worldview consists of many different spheres of knowledge and information. These constitute the categories of truth, the disciplines of study, the arenas of life in which we live our worldviews. We filter everything through our worldview. Two people with different worldviews will see any given situation differently and thus respond differently. So we have a clash of worldviews. You have people like me and I have a biblical worldview. But then we have people who have an evolutionary worldview. So you have two scientists, one is a believer and one is not, and they look at the same data, they, they go to this dig and they dig up uh, items and they examine the items and take information and then they have to analyze the information, that's a scientific method, and uh, they come to different conclusions, same data. You know, they dig up a rock and it's a fossil and it doesn't say, I'm an evolutionary fossil. It doesn't say anything at all. You know, you have to examine it and test it and then arrive at a conclusion based on, on that evidence. Well, they are taking the evidence and just like fake news, interpreting it differently than what it actually should be. And that is caused by the problem of worldview. What do you believe is true versus what do you believe is not true? So a biblical worldview might be characterized as one which tests every situation in the light of Scripture and responds in such a way as to be obedient to the Word of God and glorify Jesus. So in my case, as I got into the Christian walk, got saved, started reading the Bible, and I questioned it. I, I said, you know, can this really be true? Because this stuff is pretty, pretty amazing. And the more I studied and the more I examined the evidence, I saw that there was so much in the Bible that was true, I came soon to the conclusion that it's all true. There's nothing in the Bible that is not true. And if it appears to be not true, it means you haven't interpreted it wrong. And that is a worldview problem. So what you need to do is adjust your worldview so that it lines up with the Bible, what the Bible says and then test everything else against what the Bible says because it's not true if it's contrary to what the Bible says. And that's our problem with things like evolution that's being taught in our schools as if it's a proven fact when actually it's not. It can't be proven. So the Bible has many passages with the word integrity. It speaks often of integrity of the heart. For example, in Matthew 12:34, another word closely associated with integrity is good character. So the guy who's described as a character, what we really want to be described as is someone who has good character. And this is a problem for the church because the definition of good is an issue with worldview. And so you say, well, I'm doing things that are good, therefore God should accept me. But if it's not biblical, it's good works, but it's described by the Bible as dead works, because you're not doing it for the glory of God. And this is, this is the problem for the church, as so many people who believe that certainly they would go to heaven because they're such a good person, by their definition of good, but when you stand before God, or Jesus, and he uses the scripture as the proof text, you don't stand up too well. If you're familiar with uh, Ray Comfort, Ray Comfort has a ministry where he goes out onto the street and he talks to people, he's got a camera, video camera, microphone, and he says, you know, oh, do you believe in God? And they say, oh yes. You know, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Oh yes, because I'm a good person. And then he says, well, have you ever taken anything that was not yours? Well, of course, everybody takes, you know, things home from the office and uses them at home, or, you know, maybe they find something and they don't attempt to return it to the owner. They just say, well, it was left there, so it must be mine. That makes you a thief. And so it says, have you ever told a lie? You know, have you ever said a little white lie? Well, everybody does that. You have to. Well, then you're a liar. And he goes down the whole list of things and brings the person to the realization that, you know, when they stand before God and they say, well, I'm a thief, a liar, and an adulterer, and all these things that the Bible calls wrong, they don't stand up real well in the test to do you belong in heaven or do you belong in hell. And so one of the problems I encounter in my ministry is I do visitations at churches all over the country, really all over the world, and I see a lot of people who call themselves Christians who don't act like Jesus. And there's a problem there. It's like, are these people really saved? 
They don't act like it. There's no fruit. Uh, there's foul language. There's fits of anger. Well, these are the, that's the fruit of the flesh. These people are living in, in the flesh. They're not living in the spirit. And so I ask them questions. I say, tell me what you did to be saved. And they say, oh, they talk about salvation by works and salvation by water baptism and salvation by joining the church and salvation by growing up in a Christian home. These people are not saved because when you take them to Romans 10.9 where it says you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you say, have you done that? And they say, well, not exactly. Wow, you know, shame on the church for not teaching them that there is only one way to be born again and you must be born again Jesus said that you must be born again he was talking to uh, one of the leaders in the in the synagogue and and the guy says what must I do to be saved and Jesus says you must be born again and he says I don't know how to do that <laughs> well that's the problem in the church if you don't know how to do that uh, we need to teach people what what is important and that's called discipleship and we're doing a pretty good job of preaching the gospel, but we're not doing a very good job of discipleship. So in terms of discipleship, you know, we, we look to our leaders to be, uh, you know, the evidence that we see of, of what is the right way to behave. And so in the case of the Bible, I like to look at uh, King David. Uh, King David is my hero because he did really, really bad things. And I've done really, really bad things. And most of us, if we are honest about it have done really really bad things so you know in my case I can tell you that God still loves me you know as, as pathetic as I may be because people look at me and they say you aren't great at what you do are you and I said no but I'm better than I used to be I'm always improving you know I'm trying to get more like Jesus and uh, that's the that's the objective you know maybe every now and then a wrong word slips out of your mouth you know, when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you give them a special sign, um, that's not a very godly thing to do. And the only way you can deal with it is to say, God, I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me. And he will. God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And the only way you can have a relationship with Jesus is to be born again. So in the case of David, um, well, we have a... a uh, foundational scripture here first first kings 9 4 through 5 let me look at that oh first first kings 9 4 through 5 sorry um says, as for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So we know that Jesus will occupy the throne of David. And so David is our kind of our role model, saying in spite of his shortcomings, God regarded him as a man after his own heart. Back to Romans 10.9, where it says you must believe in your heart. So the heart is a thing that's really kind of an important thing here, and we need to understand what the heart is. Uh, most people understand that we're a three-part being, body, soul, spirit. Uh, where does the heart fit? And that's another whole teaching that I have, because most people don't have a clue what the heart is when you actually examine it and say well it's not the spirit because it can have vain imaginations it can be evil that's not spirit so what is the heart so you got to believe in your heart and that's not the physical heart the blood pump that's the spiritual heart so Psalm 15 it says um, there's character character of those who dwell with the Lord it's a Psalm of David Psalms 15.1, it says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness. So here comes the word righteousness, which in my lexicon is the opposite of wrongsciousness. If you do wrongsciousness, you can't be upright and be in a state of righteousness. 
So God really has a problem with righteousness. Sin is not good, but the real issue that God has with us when we sin is that it puts us into a state of unrighteousness. And his real problem is with unrighteousness. We could never be saved if he couldn't deal with sinners because everybody's a sinner. So when you say God can't come into the presence of sin, well, then how do we get saved? So the real issue is unrighteousness. You've got to get rid of that. And how do you get rid of unrighteousness? It says, uh, he speaks truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury. We're talking about not lying, cheating, and stealing is what we're really getting down to here. And um, it's pretty clear that that's what God wants. It says, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Moved how? from here into the kingdom. These passages define the one of high integrity who walks with a biblical worldview. How does one obtain such high integrity? You say, okay, that sounds good, but how do I do that? that that's not easy. Ask God to give it to you. You know, Luke 11, 9 through 10, it says, if you ask, God wants to give it to you. He wants you to have wisdom. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to prosper physically. He wants you to prosper emotionally. He wants you to prosper financially. And you can't do that if you don't have integrity. Because God's looking for that. He's looking at the heart saying, is that a, a heart with integrity? Or is that a heart of evil? Psalm 26, it says, A prayer for divine scrutiny and redemption. Again, David's writing, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Well, Jesus gives us the ability to overcome temptation. The temptation is always going to be there. It doesn't go away. But he gives us the power to resist that. We have free will, so you can fall into temptation. He'll let you do it. But then you will suffer, suffer the consequences of your bad decision. And we have a world full of, filled with people who are suffering the consequences of their bad decisions and then blaming it on God. Say, why did God put this on me? You know, I don't deserve this. Yeah, you did. You did something stupid and you're suffering the consequence of it. So uh, God will not always prevent you from doing the wrong thing. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide you and raise a ruckus if you intentionally do something he's showing you is the wrong thing. He'll say, here's the path walking it, and you say, well, I want to go this way. And the Holy Spirit's going to be going, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And you're not listening because you're, you're hard of hearing. It says, I will wash. Where did I leave off? Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes. And I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. Well, now Jesus did hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors, and he got criticized for it because they knew this, that King David said, don't hang out with you know, people who worship idols because it's going to rub off on you. And yet we still do want to minister to those people who need to know Jesus. And so this is where you've got to have discernment. How can I discern you know, what to do that's right versus what's just plain stupid and you're going to get in trouble? says, I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence. So I will go about uh, your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. So he's talking about hanging out in church, you know, having a heart of thanksgiving, and telling others about his wondrous works. These are the things that God wants us to do. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme. Stay away from the crooks, because there's always going to be crooks out there, and whose right hand is full of bribes. Do we see bribes going on? I mean, there's money going under the table somewhere when somebody who 
is a relatively normal person seeks a position and all of a sudden they're a multimillionaire. They, they, they didn't get that through their pay, they got it under the table somehow. And we see that going on. That's a lack of integrity. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. So um, how can we walk in such high integrity? King David tells us in Psalm 101. He promised faithfulness to the Lord. It says, I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. In other words, don't look at the bad stuff. There's pornography on that computer. You don't have to look at it. Just don't. And I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall not cling, it shall not cling to me. And, and, and that's a confession that you can make. You say, I am, I am slippery. The bad stuff doesn't stick to me. It, it just slides off. And um, that's the kind of a confession I make is I say, you know, I, I don't get sick because I'm, I'm like poison to, to bugs, you know, when, when, when a, there's, there, there's some kind of an infectious agent comes on me, it, it can't stick. It, it goes away. I never get sick. I've never had the flu. You know, I'm 81 years old, and I practice healthy living, and I don't do things that are stupid. But, you know, there, there's prayer, and prayer is our first defense. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. Oh, God has a real problem with pride. People like me who suffer from pride, um, it is really hard for us to stay out of that. You know, I get criticized for saying I too much. Well, I'm smart and I've accomplished a lot in my life and I'm sort of proud of that. But, you know, how do, how do you get out of being prideful when you say, well, I have accomplished these things. How, how can I not talk about them? Well, it, it, it's a balance, you know. When, when people ask you, you know, what have you done? You say, well, here's some of the things I have done. That's not pride. That's just stating the facts. The facts are as they are. My eyes shall be the, uh, on the faithful of the land that they, may, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. I do exactly what uh, Pastor Joe did. I anoint my house. I anoint the doorknobs. I anoint the corner posts and the, and the lot markers. And I say, no right unrighteousness may pass this line. And people come and visit me and they say, wow, your house is so peaceful. <laughs> Why? Because there's no unrighteousness in it. I don't allow it to come in. And so um, that's also a type of confessional prayer. You say, that's the reason my house is so peaceful, is that I don't allow wrong things to come into it. I've got a filter on the Internet. You know, I've got software on my iPhone that stops things that I don't want to even see. They're, they're blocked. They're, they, they won't even appear on the screen. So... Um, my eyes shall be on the faithful land, they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. You know, when I get somebody who's obviously lying to me, I, I confront them. You know, what you're saying is not true. Well, they don't like it, but that's the way I am. I'm, I'm willing to go out there and confront somebody that I think is doing some, something wrong. People in this church have learned that about me. You know, they'll say, I'll, I will take them aside and say, look, what you're doing is not right. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that, they, uh, that I may cut off all evildoers from the city of the Lord. So, you know, we see more and more and more of how King David came from being a really bad guy to being a guy after God's own heart. Um, and he was punished for what he did wrong. His, his son came against him and died. Uh, you know, there, there are many things that 
he wanted to accomplish that he couldn't because God blocked him. He said, you're not going to build my temple. Your son will build the temple because there's blood on your hands. So God for could forgive him of that, but there it was not possible for him to lose the blood on his hands. He had done those things. So the way we deal with this is by meditating on the scriptures. It's the way to renew your mind and the spirit to the word so you walk in God's will. It isn't a matter of just reading it. It's a matter of, you know, meditation is like uh, chewing your cud. It's like a cow will chew something up and swallow it and then burp it back up and chew it some more. Bad thought, probably. But that's kind of what meditating means. It, it's like it, it describes it as being like that. And so you don't just chew it for a while and then spit it out and quit. You, you need to keep doing it over and over until um, it gets down into your spirit. That's called renewing your mind to the word. Because the mind, the, the, the soul realm, mind, will, and emotions is where the battle does occur. And so um, in Ephesians 6... Um, we're described as an army. We are the army of God. We are supposed to fight the battle. And we do that because Ephesians 6 tells us to wear the whole armor of God. And what I see is a bunch of people who go running off to do battle and all they've got on is a helmet of salvation and they've got nothing else on. I mean, no soldier would go off to battle wearing just his helmet. And... and nothing else no shoes no pants no shirt no nothing i call them christian streakers because they go streaking out there and they've got nothing on except the hel helmet of salvation they have no clothes the emperor has no clothes so um and e everybody looks and says that that guy doesn't know what he's doing he's going to perish i mean that satan's going to beat him up so in psalm 119 it talks about the the meditations how are we doing here? Not too bad. The first part of Psalm 119 is Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew ballot, uh, alphabet. Uh, Jesus said he is the beginning and the end. So the first letter of the alphabet is Aleph, or A. Um, it says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Now the law, when we talk about the law, we're talking about the laws of God. God gives in his word certain things that he says, I hate these things. Can God hate? Oh, yes, he does. <clears throat> there are things that he hates. There are things that he calls an abomination. These have nothing to do with the law of Moses. These are what God has said. These are things that I really don't want you to do. And so you need to be aware of those things that God says. These are things that I hate. These are things that are an abomination. Don't ever do these kinds of things. Well, that's the law of the Lord. The law of Moses gives us rules for living. And you've got people in the church, you say, oh, well, the law was repealed. It's no longer in effect. No, that's not true. Certain portions of the law were repealed by Jesus, but the portions that he did not repeal are still in effect. For example, it says, if you're a merchant, use honest weights. Well, is it now okay not to use honest weights? No, it's not. That's still in effect. It says, don't move your neighbor's boundary marker. Is it okay to move your neighbor's boundary marker? No, it's not. Don't do that. That's still part of the law. So it says uh, walk in the law, but don't believe that the law will save you. It's just rules for living. This, this is the way you can live a right life and not suffer so much trouble. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no inequity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. So you've got statutes and ordinances. Our uh, ordin ordinances in this country were based on English common law, which was based on the Bible. So most of the laws we have on the books about property rights and such as that actually have a biblical basis. Okay keep the statutes then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments I will praise you with uprightness of heart 
when I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Next letter is Bet. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. So, we don't want to sin against God. We don't want to sin against anybody. But in particular, we don't want to uh, grieve the Holy Spirit. When you sin, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. It says, don't do that. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. So in the process of making disciples, we've got to teach him this stuff. What does this stuff mean and how does it work? I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all, all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. So he, he's ending this, this whole uh, passage with meditation. And contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. In other words, memorize it. If you meditate on the word, you are going to get it memorized. Even though you're not trying to, you're going to remember it. So he says, uh, I will not forget your word. Psalm 141 is the prayer for safekeeping from wickedness. David says in verse 1, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. He's saying, listen to what I'm saying. Well, does God listen to what you're saying? Yes, he does. There is never a time when God is not listening. He never slumbers or sleeps. You know, when people say, oh, I don't think God is hearing me. Yeah, he can hear you. The question is, what are you saying to him? You know, are you feeding the essence of his own word back to him? Or are you saying, uh, you know, I'm in the flesh and here's what I'd like you to do. Bring me a Mercedes. That's, that's not an appropriate prayer. So he says, uh, let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Just as we sang earlier. The lifting of hands towards God. He likes that. He, he, he enjoys that. He, he wants to have a relationship with us because it brings him pleasure. Well, we get the pleasure in return because he wants to bless us. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. To practice wicked works with men who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Because the world wants to dangle the worm in front of us and say, here, doesn't that look good to you? Oh, yes, I'd really like to have that. Do you really need it? Probably not. You know, so say, no, I don't need that. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness and let him rebuke me. It shall be an excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff and they hear my words for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as one who plows and breaks up the earth. But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Back to the, to the psalm that says we, we abide under his wings. He protects us. But he won't do that if you don't have a relationship with him. Just as you don't help somebody that you don't even know. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me. And from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. So I think I have escaped safely from a lot of things that God protected me from. You know, crazy driving things where um, I ran off the road and there happened to be a driveway there, so I just ran up this driveway. Otherwise, I'd have rolled over in the ditch. You know, wh why was there a driveway right where I happened to run off the road because I was driving 100 miles an hour? Um, God has saved me from a lot of instances where I did something stupid. And it apparently had a plan that he wanted me to fulfill. Well, what about church leadership? Paul tells us the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 2. We have qualifications. It says uh, in verse 3 of 1 Timothy 3, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, a bishop is just a supervisor of supervisors. He, he oversees perhaps several different churches. He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, 
Uh, some interpret this to mean he can't be divorced. I think it really means he can't be a polygamist. You, you can only have one wife at a time. But if for some reason your, your wife dies and you remarry, that does not prevent you from being a, a uh, bishop. It says, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. A, a leader of leaders who can't teach would be pretty useless. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. So as you read these things, you say, well, does that just apply to bishops? Of course not. It applies to anybody. These, these are the things that the leader is showing you by example. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Indeed. You see pastors and their, and their kids are, not to use a bad term, but they're hellions. I mean, they, they just are awful. They're in rebellion because they don't like the situation. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. That was what got Lucifer in trouble, was he got the big head, got into pride, started shooting off his mouth, and God says, you're demoted. You used to be number two in command in the throne room, and now I'm sending you down to the earth as a prince. So the prince is one step below the king, the king is one step below God. He got demoted, just like a military leader who screws up real bad, you don't execute him, you demote him. You send him to some useless command where he can't cause any more trouble. That's what happened to Satan. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and snare the devil. Qualifications of deacons. Well, we learned what deacons do when they deek. They were supposed to wait on tables and distribute the food to the, to the widows and so on. They're, they're not to tell the pastor how to do his job. They're supposed to be servants. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-minded, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. Again, I'm saying one wife at a time, not having more than one wife, because King David had lots of wives, and so did Solomon. But God didn't. You know, that, that was not God's will that they should do that. Jesus made it clear that polygamy was, was not right. Ruling their children in their houses, their own, in their own houses as well. For those who have served as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So then it says quali qualifications of elders in uh, verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. So he's, he's giving instructions to Timothy saying... When you go out there, set up elders. Well, what is an elder? It's an older person who has wisdom. That's what an elder is supposed to be. And, and you have them in every city. They aren't necessarily in the church. They are in the city. And these are people that you can go to for advice because they have wisdom. That's what an elder is supposed to be. He says, as I commanded you, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So we've talked about leadership and integrity as it applies to the church, leadership, but we see that these same principles should apply to people in leadership in, in any area. There, there's no reason why you would say the church has a different need than the military or the government or anywhere else. We as Christians should be faithful in all of those roles. We, we expect people to go out and tell people about Jesus. 
And the only way you can do that is get involved in your community. Find out what the needs are and help fulfill the needs. That's what your job is. And every time you encounter somebody, uh, you tell them about Jesus. So you're spreading the word, but you're also being a leader. So um, this ties together with several other teachings that I have, which also deal with, with the heart and the, and the problem that the heart can be evil and some other related subjects. So I can talk until your ears fall off, but I'm going to quit for the day, and I thank you for listening. Pastor Joe, you want to uh, close us in prayer? I don't know what's going on, but the uh, mic won't turn on. So, batteries were good. Anyway, thank you, Jim. I, I was the reason why I come up late is I'm back here taking notes. <laughs> so, um, keep the notes going. Um, I like taking notes because you're using more of your, your God-given senses. You're not just hearing it. Now you're writing it. You're seeing it. And it just weighs better on your heart, your position. So anyway, Jim, great job. Um, we need that integrity in the church, and that just doesn't go for deacons and elders, and and uh, it it um, it goes for every believer. Everyone that calls himself a Christian needs to have integrity. And as Jim said, integrity is is um, doing what is right when nobody's watching. See, because there is somebody watching. His name is God. See, so you aren't getting away with it. You know, those things that you hide in the darkness will be brought out into the light. So let the church wake up. Let us get integrable. Quit using the language of the world. Quit acting like the world. Um, take any one of those qualifications. Uh, take all the qualifications for a deacon, an elder, um, you know, and uh, you can find out what a real Christian is supposed to look like. So... Let's close in prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for, for your word, Lord. We needed to hear that message, not just this church, but every single church, every single believer needs to know that. And, Father, I wish that would carry on into the House of Representatives, the Congress, every nation on the face of the earth, Lord God. So, Father, we give this t time over to you. Thank you for the word we have heard and lord help us to apply it to our heart and help the we know that the holy spirit has spoken today let us hear truthfully what he wanted to say in our hearts and apply it to our lives and i pray lord in the name of jesus that you would receive the glory as you sit on the throne for your saints who walk on this earth to you be the glory lord god almighty in jesus name amen god bless you church i um, love you all.